Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everybody listening wherever and whenever this podcast finds you. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Did You Know Podcast Bitcoin Weekly Wrap-Up for December 20th, 2019. I'm your host, Dustin. This week's weekly roundup is brought to you by eToro. It's a very cool, innovative, and trusted uh, platform that actually predates Bitcoin and has uh, been trading for quite a long time. And they actually have a uh, user base, a social media profile of a platform of over 11 million traders. And if you are new or even if you are an advanced trader, eToro has something to offer everybody. If you're new, they have a virtual trading platform or virtual trading wallet, basically, where you can trade uh, on real order books with fake money so you can test out your strategies, see if you're ready to go actually into the big leagues and and uh, do it uh, with your own money. Invest with uh, with caution and as always, do your own research and this is not investment advice, it's just pure opinion. But actually, if you uh, are a new person or a you know old hand at trading, they also offer copy trading. And what that does for people who are brand new is you can actually allocate one, five, 10, 100% of your profile to copy traders. And you can copy as many traders as you'd like. And what it basically does is if you allocate 5% of your portfolio, let's say to me, every time I buy Bitcoin and then sell Bitcoin, it just copies those trades exactly. And if you are an advanced user, what you can actually do is build a social media presence, uh, let people know that you know what you're talking about, and then people will start to copy your trades. And with that, you'll actually get a percentage of their profits so everybody wins. And if you go over to didyouknowcrypto.com, that's didyouknowcrypto.com slash etoro, E-T-O-R-O, it'll redirect you to my affiliate link and what this does is lets them know that you came through my link and once you do a deposit of $200 you'll get $50 for free so everybody wins once again so share some love and head over to did you know crypto.com slash e-t-o-r-o and welcome again to the beautiful by the basement um, basement <laughs> beautiful basement by the bay studios um, joined as always by my Batman Forever McDonald's Riddler Cup, um, which is uh, going to be, actually here, I didn't even fill it yet, so let's fill it and enjoy it. It's filled with coffee because it's uh, been, a, been a long week and I'm feeling a little tired tonight. Oh, there we go. Regular drip coffee with a little bit of stevia in it, like a gentleman. Um, so let's look at the price. Since last week's wrap-up, Bitcoin did a little bit of a dance. It fell all the way back down below $6,500, but within about 24 hours of that, it rose back again over 7,000. Currently, it's sitting at 71.38 as of the 20th of December, 2019. So, my first story. This is going to be a fun one. Um, it's my favorite little piggy, Craig Wright. And this is one of the best, 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 best filings. Um, I actually scratched that. It is the absolute best filing uh, so far in this case. So on Tuesday, uh, Kleiman's legal team responded to requests by Craig's legal temper tantrum or his legal team's temper tantrum. And the memo uh, from Craig's legal team, it, it started out with accusations of the 
of that uh, the Kleiman Estates um, uh, legal team had provided a discovery memo to them after a time that they were notified um, that Craig's legal team had notified them that business hours for both Craig and uh, all the lawyers that they would be closed. And apparently this memo uh, had reached them after that point. And they got quite angry at that. Now, this may be true, uh, but the rest of the memo is an absolute beautiful disaster of conspiracy theory and strange requests. And so I, I haven't looked at every – I've been meaning to actually. I think I should probably just actually start going back through because problem with cases like this is like there's little juicy nuggets, but a lot of this is just very kind of legal back and forth and all that kind of good stuff. And a lot of it's very dry. Uh, but there had been requests uh, by Craig's team. I, I don't know if this was in um, uh, recently or throughout the throughout the case. And apparently, they had not satisfied this uh, to Craig's legal team or Craig himself. I'm guessing his um, uh, whatever standard that he was applying here, and. So first, Craig and his team had started by asking the court to give Craig access to all of the data recovered off of the now-deceased Dave Kleiman's electronic devices. They noted that there were at least 15 devices uh, found in, uh, in his home after Dave's death, and also the, that his brother Ira, who is the the representing the estate of his now deceased brother and brought the legal case that his brother Ira had thrown out one of these devices and formatted and or deleted data from the other devices so that they said that he could put his own photos and it said uh, movies on. So I'm guessing he was ripping movies onto these things. And Craig wants the data from Dave's devices to be imaged for his own analysis ostensibly um, what he's trying to say is so that he can determine what damage was done. But they also mention um, so that, that they wanted to see if there was any indication of Dave's own Bitcoin holdings. Um, the legal team also mentioned that Craig had warned Ira to preserve Dave's electronic devices because they might hold Bitcoin wallets. But also they're saying Ira had purchased a home with $400,000 in cash that Ira had never been a very wealthy person, so they were finding this to be suspect, which made Craig worried that he'd sold Bitcoin to finance the home purchase. So they are also requesting information on all of Ira's real estate um, purchases throughout the years. Um, so this is just kind of weird to me because the case is about the Kleiman estate saying that what Craig had said, that Dave was part of the creation of Bitcoin, and that they are owed a portion of the Tulip Trust. All of this Bitcoin is all the supposed Satoshi Bitcoin. And none of that has moved. Craig has never said that any of that has ever moved. Um, so anything that had been mined outside of the Tulip Trust should have nothing to do with Craig. So even if Dave did find Bitcoin while sold the Bitcoin and bought the house, other than if he hadn't you know, made any filings with the IRS. It's really none of Craig's business. So th this is a very strange request to me that Craig should have any standing to be questioning what Ira might have done with Dave's Bitcoins that got left over, if any. Um, or this could have just been more than likely life insurance that Dave left behind. I mean, it wasn't like he bought a $2 million mansion 
Uh, most people don't carry that much, but a $400,000 uh, life insurance policy is a little bit more than what average people would hold. But uh, Dave seemed to be, from what I've read, uh, to be kind of a prepared person per se. So th this very well might have been something that he did, knowing that he had been ill. He was a paraplegic, which meant that he was in a wheelchair. And, you know, maybe he, uh, had, you know, knew that at some point in the near future and he wanted to take care of his brother. Who knows? It doesn't matter. Why Craig even needs to know whether or not he sold anything? Because if any of those Satoshi Bitcoin had been moved, we would know about it. Craig would have mentioned this at some point throughout the whole thing. So it's very strange to me. Uh, next, Craig's legal team had requested information on any communications between Climum and a list of individuals that they'd written out. And uh, it's a list of individuals and companies, uh, which is weird because it also included a number of his own, like Coin Limited, uh, CO1N Coin, and Panopticon Crypto. Um, and this is related to Craig's claim that he was hacked. And this is his excuse for why some of his documents appeared to be forgeries. Um, he alleges that hackers went in uh, to set him up and forge these documents for him, which is the digital equivalent of basically saying the dog ate my homework. Uh, Kalima's lawyers responded that there is no evidence that a hack even occurred. And, you know, not, or I should say, like their response was great because it was like, um, these are, if he's claiming this and he's admitting that what he submitted were forgeries. Um, or I guess maybe he's trying to spin it and saying, no, they were real, but then they were, the real ones were manipulated to stay looking real, but, but the metadata to look forged, which is very weird. Um, and Craig's, uh, or, or the climate estates, uh, legal team had said that, um, that, you know, that these had brought up that these are forgeries had called them on it, had brought in experts to show that these were forgeries. And it, it you know, that there's no case, there's no evidence ever presented that a hack had even uh, occurred other than just Craig's word, right? And that also Craig's relationship with his former colleagues and companies have no bearing on the case. Basically, if people in your own companies didn't like you enough to want to go in and hack into your accounts, and that's really no business of ours and does not mean that Dave needs, or I should say Ira needs to turn in or turn over all, all of his information um, of who he's ever communicated with. Um, in the same vein as requesting these communications, Craig also asked for communications uh, between Ira and Blockstream Greg Maxwell, as well as other Greg Maxwell is a Bitcoin core contributor. Uh, I believe he works for Blockstream as well. And it was a, a bunch of other people that are basically, uh, as Kleiman's le legal team puts it, as a list of detractors. And this is just Craig trying to spin a web of conspiracy theory that basically everyone is out to get him and set him up. So here's the deal. Let's say just for the sake of argument that Craig is correct. This means that there's a massive conspiracy of people who hacked into his personal documents. And instead of deleting the documents that pro help prove that he is Satoshi, they decided to just change it on the off chance that this is his only copy. And this is the specific one that he is going to check or that he is going to use as submitted evidence. 
they decided not to delete it, just to change it to try to set him up. He himself produced these documents. And I would hope that he and his lawyers had reviewed it before submitting it. What, what, tell me, what makes more sense that a guy who claims to be Satoshi, but won't provide any evidence, um, you know, that, that this same guy who won't provide any evidence to his claim that he backdated a bunch of documents to try to back it up after the fact and got caught or that a big conspiracy of former employees, company people that he worked with friends and detractors like Blockstream, Greg Maxwell, and, and a bunch of other people all got together, hacked in, found his, uh, found the one copy that he was going to actually use for the court case, and then changed the metadata to so that later on, when it was inspected, it would look fake. So he's not claiming that this evidence was created because if he claims that, oh no, well this, this isn't even a real file. Um, you know, he's not claiming that they went in and created these things. He's claiming that they went in, found the original one, all this original evidence, and then went in and changed the metadata makes absolutely no sense. If this was true, he could go find the other copies that don't have because you can just copy these files the idea that satoshi nakamoto as he was going deciding that he was going to that if satoshi nakamoto is craig wright and he's decided i'm going to come out of hiding i got docs like, let's just say all the story and web of lies that he's uh, created is true that he only has one copy of all these files that prove he's satoshi is absolutely ridiculous he could provide the other copies and say, here's my four other backups. You can see the metadata actually matches. It's not forged. This is the only one. They must have come in and looked into my Craig's proof for legal case Satoshi file and gone in there and changed it because they knew this is the one I was going to submit. He can't do that. He isn't claiming that. So that either means that he's full of shit or if he is telling the truth that he is the absolute like as meticulous and smart and genius that he is he has no backups of this data i don't i don't believe it but anyways moving on uh another juicy nugget is that craig said that he was going to have his wife testify on his behalf but he hasn't allowed her to be deposed yet Kleiman's lawyers are are pissed because they're saying you're listing her as a witness but you're not letting us depose her. You're leaving. You're putting her in a foreign country where we can't go and depose her. You're not bringing her to Florida so that we can do this. But Dave, on top of doing this, is asking that climate's estate pay for her expenses that she's already incurred between sixty-five and one hundred sixty-four thousand dollars. It's just it's it's amazing. This guy cannot help but just try to steal people's money. Hey, um, so there was also a request by Kleiman's legal team that he produce uh, documents on Selma Francis, Tim Milland, Liana Tall, R. Gustafson, and Imran Shugtai, all listed as trustees on the of the Tulip Trust. And I haven't researched the names of these people yet, but one of these likely is linked to the mysterious uh, Wen, uh, Uyen uh, Wen. Uh, who, if you research her name, U-Y-E-N, 
last name N-G-U-Y-E-N. I believe she is Thai, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at least I've heard her referred to as, a, as being a young Thai woman. Um, I think she's like probably in her late 20s or early 30s now. But she was an important part of the early Tulip Trust and a lot of Craig's Wright's claims. Like if you look at a lot of the Coin Limited, Panopticon Crypto, a lot of the early Tulip Trust documents that were produced have this woman's name written all over it. And she's kind of gone into hiding. Um, there's an individual, I believe it's Seeking Satoshi on Twitter who I've talked with has has talked about how he's been um, um, trying to find her and has, has found some traces of her, but she's really gone dark as far as for the kind of average internet sleuth goes. Um, and so I, I don't think this is one of them because unless she changed her name legally, um, she's not listed as one of the trustees here, but she was listed as a trustee before. So this kind of gives me a little bit more confusion. Um, they also asked for copies of his diplomas and degrees to establish whether certain documents had been backdated to also prove his his lies and other documents and um, testimony. Uh, because there's they have suspicions that some of the things he's claimed to have degrees in and stuff like that and diplomas and certificates in are actually untrue or he never got them or they got them at different dates and his claims and different depositions um, to also kind of weave together that this guy's just a, a, a habitual liar um, at best, a, a, basically a sociopath, uh, um, you know, that kind of guy, uh, probably more likely. Now, you know, to recap, a little bit of, of history, if you guys are unfamiliar with Kleiman, uh, you know, in the, the whole case that's been going on. So Dave Kleiman, Craig had claimed that he was involved with Bitcoin early on, was part of the Satoshi team, all this kind of good stuff. Um, and after he died in 2013, I believe, his brother um, had sued him, I believe it was in 2018 is when the lawsuit started. And this has been very good for Craig as far as for cementing his claims because the climate estate recognizes him as being Satoshi Nakamoto. Why? Because Craig said he is. And if he is, then the climate estate, it stands to gain a lot of money. So this is why they, the, the, the question of him being Satoshi is not being litigated here because um, they both accept that this is true because Craig can't say it's not true or else his credibility either he's lying under oath which he already has i guess so it wouldn't matter um or uh, uh the the if he does that then then his credibility is destroyed and ira wants it to be true because then he'll get a lot more money and craig had testified back in april of 2019 you know that he had never put bitcoin in any of the satoshi bitcoin into a trust also, that the trust didn't hold the private keys to that Bitcoin, and also that Dave knew nothing about the trust or the Shamir secret uh, key sharing scheme that he used to distribute the slices of the private key that would access the Satoshi holdings. Then, after this testimony, Craig was uh, ordered by the court to produce a list of the Bitcoin holdings that he'd held prior to Dave's death. Or maybe they even asked for all of them. I can't recall the exact, uh, whether it was all of them or prior to Dave's death. Either way. And this would be very easy if you held the private keys. It would be very easy to determine the public addresses for your Bitcoin. Um, 
after he was ordered to do this, he tried to claim that it's impossible and blah, 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 blah. And then after the court lost patience and basically said, produce it now, Craig had sta uh, then started to state that, well, actually, I transferred all that Bitcoin into a blind trust that was set up by Dave, but I'm also not a trustee, so I don't actually have access to this information. Then later, he signs a sworn statement that he actually was a trustee and a beneficiary of the trust. As you can see, it's just like a set of truth gets gets called on it. A new set, you know, like a new set of lies on top of the lies prior to that gets called on it. And then he like quadruple, I don't even know, uh, sectuples down on these lies. It's just like adding a new layer. It, it's literally like talking to a child when you go like you watch them go into the pantry and steal a cookie. Right. And then they run around the corner and you go, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Come back here. And then they come back with crumbs around their mouth. And like, did you take a cookie? No. Well, I could see crumbs around your mouth. Um, no, that was from my lunch. Like, no, I know it was not from your lunch. That was two hours ago and I wiped your face myself. Oh, well, um, I had actually grabbed a piece of bread earlier after that. Like, no, you didn't. I saw you go in the pantry. Uh, well, no, I was just like, like, it's just a lie after a lie after a lie. And like, you're digging yourself deeper and you're constantly coming up with new lies, trying to fit the, so that it fits the question being asked. The problem is since it's not the truth, it has holes all over it, and it comes in with a, a new hole um, in that lie. So then they form a new lie to then, you know, cover up that one. It just it just compounds, um, you know. It, it and he then also added on top of all this stuff, right? So I didn't, I don't have or the bitcoins on the trust. I have the private keys, everything like that. Dave was no part of it. Oh, by the way, actually, no, it was all in the in the trust. Dave set it up. I don't have the private keys, and then uh, I'm not a, a trustee or beneficiary of it. Then it's, oh, I am a trustee and beneficiary. Then, this is the new part, he added that the um, electronic file used to create the Bitcoin, or the, that was used to create the private, private keys for the Bitcoin that were transferred to the trust, um, uh, that, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. He then... Yeah, I'm sorry. He was saying that the the electronic files that he used to create the private keys themselves, that those actual files were transferred into the trust. So he doesn't even have access to those electronic files um, that would be needed to access that Bitcoin. Um, but the Bitcoin was never transacted. And Dave had set up also, Dave set up the entire trust and that only Dave... Um, was responsible for distributing the key slices and he arranged for the bonded courier because Craig claims now that all these keys were, were distributed to the trustees and that these key slices uh, or will be transferred to the trustees and that these key slices um, were uh, put uh, by Dave into a bonded courier. And these couriers are going to, at some point in 2020, it was January, 2020. And I've seen stuff with June, 2020, are going to be delivered to the trustees. They put them together in a certain, um, in, in, in a certain order, according to Dave, which doesn't match what people are saying. It's actually a Shamir key scaring scheme, but whatever. Um, and then you have access to the Bitcoin, right? As you can see, it's just lie after lie after lie after lie. Now that last part really doesn't make any sense though. Talking about the the Bitcoin 
there was no transactions of Bitcoin. So that's why you can't see all the Satoshi uh, Bitcoin moving into one wallet or 20 wallets or whatever it may be that he decided to do it, that they're still sitting. Those Coinbase Bitcoins are still sitting uh, where they were originally. And this really doesn't make any sense because if you transfer it into a, a brand new, into a trust that holds a different private key than the one that you held if you were Satoshi, like it, it doesn't make any sense that they didn't move. Um, it, in anyways, it's just it's a it's a very and the way that I've heard it defended is that oh no well this is more of a legal thing, but if if the trust doesn't actually hold anything then it's not really a trust you're just trusting that he set it up and isn't still holding the private keys. Um, to me, in my opinion, it's obvious that Craig has created a story, and this story has changed over time. And while under oath, he's basically been trained changing the story to fit the details to match the facts that are being shown to prove the previous story untrue. So you have a story, facts come out that disprove it. He creates a brand new effects, a brand new set of facts that fit that new story or the, uh, a new story that fits those facts that were brought out and then new facts come out and then he break, creates a brand new story and just goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, and he's trying to, uh, you know, shore up all of these other tales that he's told as they begin to be shown to be false, you know, it's really easy to tell the truth. And it's a, a lie is really, really hard to make believable, especially if it's a very complicated lie. And this is a very complicated lie, which is why it has changed so much over three years. This lie, like it'd be, it'd be different if he was holding to one story this entire time and all it was was opinion and conjecture against him. But it's not facts show up that prove the story that he told was wrong. And then he changes it and he's changed it. Like it's com almost completely different than when he started in 2016. Um, now, what, what's important, though, to note in all of this is the part about Dave's Dave Kleiman's encrypted files and their want Craig's uh, want to review that evidence, the, the data that has been um recovered from these uh, electronic devices, I'm guessing, uh, external hard drives, as well as his later claim that Dave set up the entire trust. So those two things, Craig wanted to look, wanting to look at the data recovered off those hard drives and also saying that Dave set up this entire thing because Craig needs to have an exit strategy. Since he has ridden for years on why he can't move coins and definitively prove that he at least currently holds the Satoshi keys. Um, you know, I, he went from, you know, he was going to, and then he went from, um, I can't because of my family, blah, 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 blah. I can't face the truth. Um, then he moved on to screw you. I don't have to prove anything to, I can't because it's in a trust and I can't get access till 2020. The Bitcoin he claims, excuse me, he claims is his will never be his because he never had or will have the keys. There is no proof that he is Satoshi and any bit of, of just ridiculous, like copy, like printed copies of email. He like the latest one, he printed off a thing from something showing, oh, well, um, I researched this thing and this is where I got the Satoshi name from, right? 
none of this, this is all just like little pieces that he's throwing out there. And it's enough where you can draw lines. But there's a mountain of refutations to it. There's nothing definitive. There's nothing even approaching like, huh, well, that actually makes me think for a second. There, there's nothing. Um, and I have speculated over the last year, basically, what his strategy is going to be to getting out of all this. One theory of mine was that, and I thought this was going to happen a, a lot sooner, but it seems like he's not going to. But I thought that he would either fake his death or just disappear. Um, you know, disappearing and saying his, his detractors um, and other characters had made it too dangerous for him and his family for him to go on what he did like what he did in 2016. And this would basically offer him the martyrdom route to keep BSV intact and even grow. Calvin Ayres is not just a man who believes in Craig or anything like that. He has an immense investment in it. And it's likely that a lot of his friends who, uh, they are, they are people who are not to be trifled with. And, you know, the option of BSV just simply dying on the vine like Bitcoin Gold or Bitcoin God is not an outcome that they are going to be okay with with the amount of money that they have been pouring into this. They need to be able to exit their investment and can't just do that like some sort of exit scam like an exchange can be. There's a lot of physical hardware and and uh, cash investment in companies and patents and things like that. They can't just exit this. They have to find a way to get out with their money plus probably some profit for their troubles. So I, don't, I think that's becoming increasingly un less likely um, as, we, as we move forward, especially with the, this latest development that I've been talking about. Lately, the more likely theory that I've been leaning on is that of, you know, pardon my French, Dave fucked up. Craig, you see, he's, a, he's an egomaniac and he needs this laudatory bubble that he's created for himself of, thank you, Satoshi, we love you, you're a genius. This man has 4,000 degrees and 1 billion patents. He's such a genius. He's, he's the Steve Jobs. He's the Thomas Edison of our time. Him disappearing would, would have to be a last resort for a guy with an ego like this. And it has to be his least favorite outcome since he would fade from notoriety, um, something he desperately wants and needs. Even if he's remembered uh, and, and keeps his martyrdom genius status, you know, that's he's not there to physically go to these conferences and get these these the this love and affection. And the question of the Tulip Trust and the Bitcoin that go, goes along with it has to be answered. And really definitively this year, because 2020 has been the year they've been throwing around and throwing around and throwing around and throwing around. I think even a, there's a good chunk of the faithful that will actually lose hope and leave if they just pretend like his promises of crushing BTC with his $8 billion stash that he has claimed to do. And now it's, uh, you know, and it's actually kind of backpedal on it. If he doesn't do this in the next year, it's if it fizzles out, people are going to lose hope. I, I'd actually found, I can't remember if I talked about it. Yeah, yeah, I talked about it in last week's, but uh, Craig kicking the can down the road. Now on one of his Slack, I saw a screenshot where he was saying, oh, well, this is going to happen over the next two years. I, I really think if nothing moves in 2020, there's going to be some very goofy stuff. Calvin himself had been coming out on Twitter saying something will move. Never saying it's going to be Satoshi coins on BTC Network. He's just saying something will move. And and anyways, we'll go into what I think that's going to be. But 
so you know how do you do this how do you how do you how do you get out of this pickle of having to move something um in 2020 you know how do you not move satoshi's coins and still claim victory uh, these are scenarios uh, that i think in my opinion are the most likely and also i think what will happen is not just going to be like you know one or either one or two of these scenarios that that i mentioned but kind of a combination of different aspects of both of these things um so the the first scenario that I was going to lay out here was his preoccupation with Dave's electronic devices and his overriding or uh, Ira's overriding of them. Um, and this tells me uh, that they could just claim that since Dave set up the trust and now that the data is lost on all these electronic devices that, oh, whoops, a key slice of the password need to unlock the trust was forever lost uh, when Ira put rip movies on it. Um, and that, you know, turns out that Dave forgot to send out one of the shards or something like that. And they would probably actually make a show of bonded couriers even showing up that he likely either set up, you know, within the last year or even a couple years ago as he started to think out how all this was going to work. Um, and likely NDAs are going to be signed by the company that delivers these to preclude them from letting the cat out of the bag of when it was set up and all this kind of stuff. And it was probably actually set up by a shell corp. So it's not actually traceable back to anybody. Um, but once the keys are delivered, Craig will combine them and say, oh man, I were destroyed, you know, the last one or Dave screwed it up from the beginning. And he, you know, the, the keys that he sent were, were, you know, actually don't unlock the encrypted files that, that he, uh, you know, that, that he had um, to, to release the tool of trust. And this would get them, give them an out, and also, also, this will be really interesting, is a pretext to backdoor BSV to access the Satoshi coins, which they could do since they have majority hash. They could then move the Satoshi coins on BSV and claim that, well, since BSV is the real Bitcoin, we move Satoshi's coins on Bitcoin. Voila, right? Um, you know, and, and, and this proves in their minds that Craig is not a liar in a roundabout way. Uh, and, you know, but this would actually kind of lead them open to fraud and theft and being arrested. You know, if Satoshi comes back or his family, whom he left them to ever attempted to uh, ever revealed themselves and try to get those coins, it would, you know, basically if, if, if the real Satoshi's private keys would unlock that BSV, if they move that, uh, but I think Craig is quite confident that Satoshi is not around anymore, which is why he's gone down this road. But that's a different story for a different day. Uh, the other way that they would access, I think that they could access uh, a backdoor in BSV is that they are preoccupied with abiding by the law. If a court gives them a ruling, miners are going to abide by the ruling. If they say to reverse a transaction, they're going to reverse a transaction, right? Um, they'll take Bitcoin and confiscate it. So if they allow this backdoor in there that allows miners to do this more easily, then they might do it that way as well without this pretext. But but that's also a different story. The second scenario that, I, that I've been thinking about was Dave, I think, may have been mining Bitcoin very, very early. And Craig might have been involved with that as well. And since if, if Dave was mining like really early, and none of those have ever moved. It might be assumed um, 
by many that have been trying to collect, or, you know, because basically trying to figure out who's what it was Satoshi coins. They've basically gone with, we know Satoshi was mining up to these points. Um, and we believe based on blocks and stuff like that, this is how much he may have. And some of these coins that Dave may have mined really early may be, you know, put in that category of Satoshi coins without people knowing just because they have never moved since they were mined. Um, and this truth would be in a gray area. And that is where Craig thrives. He really thrives in these gray areas. And if they get access, let's say, to that recovered data on those drives and maybe find like an old wallet.dat file on a private key or something like that, um, even though this is not a block five or 20 or 70 Coinbase Bitcoin, something like, say, block 1200 or 800 or something like that would still be very easy to make a Satoshi claim on and latch onto that. Um, this was one of the reasons I thought that Calvin had actually offered to buy the climate estate. Apparently, it was a, about a month or so ago, he put out a basically a news story saying that he decided not to buy the estate. He'd been, Craig was never aware of this, but he'd been in secret negotiations to buy the climate estate, but had, in, uh, upon inspection of the hard drives, had determined that they were not... Um, that they were useless because they'd have been overwritten. So there's no Bitcoin there. Ostensibly, he was saying he wanted to buy 300,000 Bitcoin that was in the David Kleiman estate. But anyways, um, you know, I think this is also why Craig has been so unhinged in this case, as they may have been banking on, you know, as, as the case progressed. I think they were banking on trying to get access to this data and using that like an early Bitcoin a transaction that was assumed to be Satoshi's and use that as like, well, we moved, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin out of block uh, 2100 or whatever, which would be within like the first like six months of, of Bitcoin, which is very likely a, a Satoshi could very easily be a Satoshi Bitcoin Coinbase and that they were banking on that to be what they moved, not the early ones, not block nine, which he says he has to have the private key if he signed a transaction. So he can definitely move block nine right now, which is actually, it's funny because I think it was block nine and block 17 is what he used to privately sign the transactions for John Matonis and, and Gavin Andresen to prove he was Satoshi. But he also claims that all of the Bitcoins that he mined prior to 2013, which would include that, had been transferred in the trust. So how can he have the private keys? But whatever. Um, I think... You know, back to what I was saying, I think they were banking on getting access to these to use this to bolster their story. And, you know, I, I think this is really the sole reason they were even pursuing a court case with the climate estate and not just doing an out-of-court settlement to shut his brother up, give him some money to go away, um, explain that he doesn't have any of the Bitcoin or anything like that. I think this is why they're pursuing because they wanted to get access because I think that they think that Dave had some early Bitcoins that they could use to do this. And, you know, they could have easily, like I said, settled with the estate and NDA. Ira Kleiman would not be allowed to say anything, but they didn't do that. So to me, it, it's it's very interesting. And, and I'm not unbiased in this because I, I really don't like Craig and I don't like him because he is, I can handle um, people who are jerks and assholes and, think a lot about themselves that's not a problem stealing another a great man's legacy is unforgivable or almost unforgivable in my opinion if you're 
not even man enough to admit it that that says a lot about you. Um, ooh, wow, I'm going at like 40 minutes, so apologies. I'll get through the rest of these stories here relatively quickly. So the uh, next story is about Venezuela. The benevolent dictator Nicolas Maduro has decided to give a wonderful gift to his people. Well, I mean, just government employees, military, and retirees. But this Christmas season, they'll each be given half a Petro, which is the official Venezuelan cryptocurrency. Um, if you remember back in 2017, the Petro was introduced as pretty much the first national cryptocurrency. And they said it was backed by oil reserves in Venezuela. And as the story evolved, we found out what we all kind of basically suspected right from the beginning, that the currency was centrally controlled. Right. It was not a decentralized blockchain. And the supposed oil backing it was basically nothing but an undeveloped oil field. And not to mention the oil backing it is in no way really tied to the Petro other than just the promises of the government that they are. Take that for, you know, coming from Venezuela, I wouldn't really take that with more than a single grain of salt. Um and now this gift that he's giving everybody, it's going to require all the individuals who got it to sign up for the Petro app, which is the official wallet of the Petro. This app actually also supports Bitcoin, uh, Litecoin, and Dash, and ex supports currently exchanges between the Petro and those currencies. So it's actually possible for those being airdropped, the Petro, they could just exchange it for Bitcoin if they wanted to, which is actually kind of interesting. And the average monthly income in Venezuela is 10 bucks. So this is actually, people are really highly incentivized uh, th that do get this to register and claim it. So over the last year, Maduro has directed uh, things like the future funding for all um, um, housing, uh, basically public housing stuff to be made in uh, Petros. The Bank of Venezuela has been required to offer the Petro, not to make that the sole currency, but to offer it so that people can buy it right at the bank, um, as well as they've been paying out state pensions in the Petro as well. And this is another attempt to try and basically artificially create a domestic market for the Petro. Maduro and the government have been hurting from U.S. sanctions over these years, um, without a doubt. And they've been looking for a way to basically get around those sanctions because they can't sell their oil or it's very difficult to sell the oil um, without getting U.S. dollars. And the U.S. will not allow U.S. dollars to be used to buy Venezuelan oil. So this bunch, it's really hurt their economy. They're still selling oil for like gold and other stuff like that to like India, I think. Or is that Iran that was selling it for gold? Doesn't matter. But they have been getting around it. But they recognize that, you know, basically crypto is transnational. Nobody can stop a cryptocurrency payment um, from being sent or received. Uh, but they really didn't understand that creating a centralized version of it isn't having their cake and eating it too, but leaving nothing on the plate that has value. Like they defeat the whole purpose of it. Uh, next story is the Federal Reserve. So a governor of the Federal Reserve, there are uh, basically the board of the Federal Reserve is made up of governors of different Federal Reserve banks around the country. And one of these governors, uh, Leo Brannard, in a speech to the European Central Bank, um, an audience of uh, the ECB folks in Germany, she laid out uh, further issues with Libra's um, lack of clarity, basically. Uh, in Specifically, she was talking about their basket of currency reserves that they used to back up the Libra. Um, and the concern that the... You know, because Libra has not been really 
detailed in how much of the dollar versus how much of the euro versus how much of whatever it's going to be held in there. And, you know, central bankers and the Fed, they are not actually wrong. And it's not ridiculous, actually, for them to be concerned because they should be. If Libra actually became a real player in global finance, the reserves of variance currencies would be immense and would, in fact, probably present an actual systemic risk to national currencies. If Libra in this situation is being a major player, uh, one of the one of the most traded uh, global currencies right in this situation, this scenario, they became unstable and began to and had to start dumping large amounts of their reserves onto the global markets, it would actually put a lot of pressure on these national currencies and start to devalue them quite rapidly. And, you know, or I should say, it put a lot of pressure on them and could result in devaluation, which could throw economies into tailspins. And Libra is purposefully opaque on this issue. As they are conducting the real talks and negotiations behind closed doors, they're not doing it publicly, they're not doing it, you know, in front of news cameras. And, you know, they, they've been opaque because they don't want to put themselves in a position where people start to pick things apart. They're waiting to see what are these central banks going to be okay with, and we'll just go with that. And as I've said before in a lot of different previous episodes of this, but I'll say it again, is Western countries really want this option. You know, and whether it's going to be Libra is yet to be known, but it offers these countries what they've always wanted, but these pesky constitutional restrictions have not allowed them to. That's basically spying on what everybody buys all the time without a warrant. They would love to be able to see every debit card purchase. Now, they can get that from Visa. They can get that from Wells Fargo, depending on who you bank with. But they're going to need a warrant to do that. To do that, they're going to need probable cause, not just because they want to just see what you're doing or they want to, some analyst wants to check up on his girlfriend. Um, they want to be able to do that, uh, but they can't because a lot of Western countries have restrictions and, and rights to privacy. Private companies don't have those same constitutional restrictions. This is why if, if let's just say like the, uh, the, the UK government, if they want to put a wire, a camera in your house, they need to get a warrant and have probable cause. It's actually a lot lower bar in the UK than it is in the US, but just for just for as an example, they, they can't just willy-nilly go do this, legally speaking. But if you put a Nest home camera in your house, you are giving Nest access, right? And they are ostensibly saying that they aren't spying on you, but you are giving them access to all that data. And a lot of those terms of service, you're giving them access to actually look at what's going on in your all your video feeds and what you say on Alexa or anything like that. Private companies don't have constitutional restrictions. All they have to do is get you to sign a term of service, which is what would happen with Libra. You access Libra by accessing it. You are giving them the right to look at all your transactional data, when and where you send things and all that kind of stuff. Private currencies would allow them to spy on what every single person does, right? It bypasses all these restrictions. They want this. Um, so that's it for this week's weekly wrap up. I want to thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please leave a review on iTunes. Just go to my website at digiknowcrypto.com. Click on the little iTunes, a little Apple icon. Go over there, leave a five-star and a written review. It really, really helps if you are on YouTube. Um, uh, please go over there, right down there, right there. And you'll see a little uh, subscribe button. There'll be a little red button um, in this corner or in the description below. 
you will see the uh, if you're on mobile, you'll see a little script, yeah, subscribe button. So do that. Hit the bell that notifies you every time I do a video. Um, also give some love to my sponsors at eToro, digitalcrypto.com slash eToro and get that 50 free dollars. And also, if you want to save some money, go to supportmypodcast.com. Click on the listener support discounts. Those are absolutely free to all my listeners. That's supportmypodcast.com. And once again, I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank you for watching. Have a great night, and we'll uh, we'll see each other soon. <laughs>